You're now listening to the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brad, and the rest of our team is made up by Louis, Vicky and Tony. We're all alumni of the University of Stirling's Psychology of Sport Masters Programme. We work on the Young Player Wellbeing Programme, developed by Care Visions alongside the University of Stirling. The programme aims to empower young athletes to have more control over their wellbeing. On the podcast, we share our knowledge and experiences of relevant wellbeing topics and how these have an impact in and out of sport. We'd like to welcome you along to the podcast and hope that you enjoy listening. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. We're joined by Tony, um, Louie and Vicky are sitting this one out for today because we have a special guest that's going to have plenty to say. We've got Ryan Sturton on today, who is an online coach, specialises in working with semi-pro footballers. How are we doing, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Um, so I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this one. Your your career, from what we've learned, is is one that our players could definitely look to sort of replicate. And you you obviously understand the demands of football and, and working as a coach, I think, is a great end goal for any young player out there so I think firstly it'd be great just to hear about your career in football starting from kind of when you were younger up until the current point. Yeah mate so my football career kind of started like most people's does um, I started probably when I was about five or six years old to be honest I think I have went from the bottom end of the pitch all the way to the top end of the pitch and all the way back again in terms of positions goalkeeper defender midfielder striker and then I've ended up back centre half. So by that trend, I should be playing in goal next year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so played boys club and actually played boys club all the way up until I was actually 19. I um, always aspired to go a little bit higher. Never really got the chance through the youth level. Seen a lot of my mates going to like youth setups. Was always jealous. Was like, I think I'm good enough, but I never quite made it because of probably raw ability. Um, but when I kind of got to that age where wasn't always it wasn't necessarily raw ability that stood me out was my physical attributes yeah. um I got a chance at four for under 20s played there for a couple of seasons went on loan to a couple of junior sides um and probably from like the ages of 18 like I, I, I did well from probably 18 19 20 21 um put all my eggs in the basket of getting signed with four for didn't get signed with four for um kind of broke me then decided I was moving to Australia um played at a very good level in Australia and then not such a good level in Australia um, due to geographical purposes. Um, then came back and I've played, I think I've played junior since. Um, so I've been playing in the juniors almost almost seven years now. So um, becoming more of an experienced guy at 26 years old. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, just to pick up on what you were mentioning there, so is it 4-4 United that you play with at the moment? Four for United, yeah, in the, in the junior setup up this way. Yeah, cool. So, pretty, you know, unique career, I suppose. But, I mean, we just love having people on this podcast that play in Australia, by the sounds of it. So, yeah. I mean, it's not all, all that unique in that sense. But, yeah, and slightly different to what some of the our listeners might be experiencing now in terms of a lot of them might be of in the academy since they were, like, seven, eight. Are you are you really young? As young as you can get into the academy, I suppose. But we maybe do have others who get that opportunity a bit later at sort of 15, 16. So interesting that you 
from five played at boys club and then got the opportunity later on in your career so I suppose the transition that you're experiencing at that point was very different um how did you sort of deal with that I suppose because I mean you go from the demands of boys club um and then you go when you're 19 you've got an opportunity at Forfa how did you I suppose seize that opportunity or try and grasp it um kind of happened by chance really I'd like a always aspired and it was always a goal of mine to like play for my local club because I lived literally two minutes up the road from it and I was just like I just always felt that it was going to happen because I felt like I was good enough within within the boys club league that I played in there was guys getting picked up from there and then the manager came down and um he watched the game and I actually it was a kind of strange story like I just had a tattoo around my leg like you probably know the one I'm talking about it got infected so I was like absolutely doped up on um, ibuprofen, um, and had the game of my life. And he just decided that at that point he was gonna he was gonna sign me. And my leg was then swollen for like another two weeks, and it got infected and had to get. I was in the I was in the hospital for it. So it was it wasn't wasn't an ideal situation, but yeah. I grasped it with both hands. Um, and yeah, I felt like a little bit of a fish out of water when I went up there because there was a lot of really good players, like players that have played like 50 games for four for players like like Murray that you you spoke to recently who's went on and had like a, a pretty pretty good career so far. Um so there's a lot of really top players in there. Um and I was kind of just the guy coming from Boys Club and I was a little bit older than even the guys already in that setup. There was a lot of 16, 17, 18 year olds. So I kind of knew that I had to hit the ground running because I didn't I was, it was under 20s I was signing for and I was 19. So I only really had one year to make it happen. Um, okay. And obviously the next aspiration is then to sign for the first team. But yeah, probably come yeah. on to why that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah, cool. Um, I think just a couple of things that I'm hearing from that and something that I definitely experience, and I know Tony does, is imposter syndrome. You said like fish out of, a fish out of water, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, Tony, I know we've spoken about that in the past before. That's something that we, we've had heavily, isn't it? Yeah, yeah definitely. It's... It's something you get, I think, no matter when, when you transition into just new environments and almost you feel like you're doing like the natural step up progression. It is that way, like it, it feels really daunting. Um, and everyone seems like they really know what they're doing and you feel like you don't have a clue what you're doing. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm just uh, I'm interested to see sort of how did you manage to sort of cope with that um, for that well, the, the year that you were, you were playing for Fulford? You know what? I actually don't think I really did, to be honest. Um, it was a constant year of feeling insecure, and there was a kind of part of that was due to my body as well. I had a massive insecurity around my body for a kind of odd reason. That again, maybe another reason I do the job that I do, um, and that really held me back as well. I was going through a real phase of trying to lose weight and trying to stay in this particular shape, and it was affecting my football performance and. I don't know if anyone's ever experienced this, but I had this thing where the, the kit didn't really fit me very well because I was a I was a bulkier guy. Like I was, I had a lot of muscle and I was constantly kind of picking away at my top and felt really, really uncomfortable. And that probably affected my performance. Um, so that whole year was like, I, I had a good year, probably more, it was actually a year and a half. I performed pretty well, but there was always this kind of insecurity chip on my shoulder. Didn't think I was good enough to be at the level. Um because of I relied so heavily on my physical attributes and not necessarily my um, my technical attributes. Um, I was very much a, I think they describe them up here as a hidba. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't think Tony will maybe be able to translate that, but nah, I'm definitely not a clue. He's basically just a big, uh, a big centre half that just headers the ball all the time. Ah, okay, okay. Right, got you, mate. Glad we're on the same page there. Um, yeah, so Tony, sorry to jump in if you were going to pick up on him, ah, but I need, on. I, need, I need to plug this, mate. Stutz is saying that his well being was affecting his performance. Is that not something that we don't shut up about ever? I'm glad you butted in to say that because that's literally <laughs> exactly what I was about to do, mate. So. Yeah, I've got it written down, highlighted. Um, yeah, but as you say, like small insecurities do chip away at you, like you said with the phrase. Um, we always talk about sort of one percent, and I'm sure you do as well. And you know that could be a, a small difference, and that's holding you back from performing well. And the way that we try and spin it as we always encourage our players to use support networks in order to sort of discuss these things. Um, and that could sort of give you that 1% in order to sort of improve performance. And and we hope as like wellbeing coaches that we are that kind of safe person. We try and create that sort of safe space where players can open up to, you know, on any matters such as that, uh, if it's going to help them perform on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, mate, one hundred percent. I think it is it is the thing that it's a little bit taboo, isn't it, within football? Like people don't want to speak about things that are going on in the background. They don't want to speak about their insecurities. They don't want to speak about what's actually on their mind while they're on the pitch. Like I remember literally playing massive games of football um, in that league, in the under twenties league cup games, and the only thing I could think about was how tight the top was. I wasn't thinking about the striker I was playing against. I wasn't thinking about like the actual importance of the game it was all about what do i look like on this pitch to like two guys and his dog watching me it's like who cares yeah. but yeah 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 um, um sorry sorry i was gonna say obviously it's it's not ideal for you that you're going through that experience but it is interesting that you know these are you speak sort of about focus and i guess a little bit in the fact that the top was tight and all that it's almost sort of yeah, self-consciousness and confidence um if i'm hitting the right markers here and it's yeah it's very interesting that these are topics that we've sort of covered almost extensively with some with with our players and um yeah it's, so i think it's good that that's now being sort of provided so that when there are players like you going through a similar experiences it's now you know they can move past that and hopefully thrive better on the pitch mm-hmm. um so so i just want yeah. to drop that one in there because i found it, found it interesting yeah, I appreciate you sharing that as well for us, mate. Yeah. I, I, hopefully some of our players can find some common ground and, and find that relatable as well. And we will pick up on maybe the ways that that's impacted where you're at in your life at the moment. But you go from Forfa and then you're told, OK, do you, you're you no longer, a, you know, you, were you signed for the year and then you get released or were you on trial? And then um, you just don't so get... it was more just the case of the, the under-20s team, there was a lot of people turning then 21 and... If I'm being honest, not a lot of players had went up into the first team the previous years and not really many players other than really Murray um, had actually made it and played the first team. Actually, you know what? If I'm being honest, it was probably only Murray and really? in the three seasons that we played in that under-20s team. And I know a lot of the boys from that team are just, they're not playing anymore. Um, yeah, okay. A lot of the guys are maybe just like playing pub league or amateurs. Um, so yeah, there wasn't really like a... It was nothing to do with the first team. It was just the manager at the time didn't really have much interest in any of the guys coming up. Um, and maybe they just weren't up to the quality. If I'm being honest, I didn't think I'd actually done enough to be able to to go and be signed. 
Um, so yeah, decided I was boarding the next pl- plane to Australia. <laughs> okay, so that's when you went, right? Cool. So tell us about that then. I suppose it's a massive step and another huge transition, and probably like we speak about a lot, a big step out of your comfort zone. So how did that impact where you're at now? Yeah, mate. So I mean, my my idea in my head at that point was still that. I was very much a footballer in my mind. Like I was very much, I still held the identity of a footballer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a coach. I wasn't, um, I wasn't anything else. But I thought, right, this is a great chance to go over to Australia and play for a decent football side. I didn't go over with the intention of playing for this side, but I got assigned for them pretty early. Um, and I just thought, what, what have I got to lose right now? Like I've got nothing that I really want to stay here for. So took a year out. I actually went and done swimming coaching I've never coached swimming in my life I'm not okay. even a good swimmer myself so I just <laughs> went over and just went literally chucked myself in the deep end um, <laughs> and look it was one of the best things that I ever done like it, it seriously was like the football was a completely different style over there um, um, I played in a team it was run by a, a Greek guy who sat in a camping chair and never got out of his seat the whole time just kept calling me a uh, Malaka whatever that is um, <laughs> you could probably translate but yeah um, yeah, it was a great team to play for. There was like Brazilians, Argentinians, there was British guys, Greek guys, Croatian guys. It was a completely different culture. And um, like half the team were playing in five-a-side shoes and here's me with my Puma Kings. Um, the style was a little bit contrasting, but it was a, like in terms of football, I've probably never learned so much like in a year about how to play the game a little bit differently. Right, um, right. Playing in 35 degrees heat is also a different challenge. And then um, just general, like, growth as a person, like pushing mm. myself out of my comfort zone, going to live in a new place, like making my own money. Um, it, it's, again, I don't, I don't think everyone needs to do it, but I would recommend taking a little bit of time to go and see a bit of the world. And if you are a footballer, going and playing football in a different place, it's like one of the best learning experiences you could ever get. Yeah. Uh, that's class, man. Some, some key skills that you mentioned there as well. Um, yeah. Tony, you were scribbling away, mate, so I don't want to steal your thunder this time, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> yeah, no, so like, just straight away, the first thing I saw there was almost, um, you had a bit of a setback um, with obviously not getting into the first team with Forfa, and um, what was interesting was that you mentioned sort of your identity was a footballer, um, and then you, you went across to Australia. Now, I'm not saying that this is what everyone should do. They should travel across the world to, so to sort out any issues, but it's good that you sort of, you then went out, you just sort of tested your identity a little bit, picked up some new a new hobby, a new maybe um skill in, in um sort of swimming swimming. It was swimming instructing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and of course like around new people, around new cultures and that and really as a way, was that definitely something that helped you obviously come back from that? Was also it was sort of getting a new, you know, going into like almost like a new environment, a new bubble, learning a new bit about your identity and discovering yourself a little bit more um, and sort of understanding again that perhaps I know obviously you spoke that your football grew a lot as well but perhaps the the other part of you you know um, Ryan the the, yeah the the swimming instructor I guess sort of was another identity that you got to develop and was that something that really helped you move on past that sort of setback? Yeah look it's it was kind of like a constant evolution I've I've always been someone that has I've always wanted a little bit more for myself. I've never really been someone to go, oh God, like that, that shit. Let's just like, let's pity on myself. I always want to go and try another thing or 
push myself out of my comfort zone. And that was my constant mindset when I was over there. I was like, I'm going to be, I was shitting myself. I'm not going to lie. When I started swimming coaching, I was like, I don't know how to swim. Um, I do know how to swim, but I don't know how to swim very well, well enough to coach kids how to swim. Um, so it was like a completely new thing I had to learn. Um, I obviously never traveled that far across the world before without like any support. Um, so there was there were so many different aspects to it, which were completely out with my comfort zone. And I think that's probably the main thing that I took away from that was that like, well, if you can learn to coach kids to swim, you can learn to pretty much do anything because you were useless at that. Um, so that was that was probably the main thing that I took away from that, to be honest. Um, and yeah, just generally like the life skills that you learn from that, like yeah. communicating with people that are like yeah. Australian, like Chinese, like just generally people from all over the world. Um, because it's so diverse over there in Sydney, like you, it's not just yeah like it is when you walk down the street in four four. We heed the bar playing in Australia with boys with sambas on. Thank you, done all right there. <laughs> Mate, the worst thing that happened was well, not the worst thing. It's probably the best thing was that the second club I went to play for. It was over the other side of Sydney and it was a completely different focus over there. So it was a group of Irish guys. Um, there was literally about 15 guys from Ireland that played for this one club. Right. First game I went in and played, I played left back. Um, I'm right footed as it comes. Um, he, I played left back, he scored a 40 yard screamer. And then <laughs> I put the wrong idea into their head and they started playing me centre mid. Um, it was a slightly different level, I'm not going to lie. It was a... Uh, it was kind of maybe the equivalent of like public over here, but it was absolutely oh, great fun. <laughs> oh, okay, just strolling it then. Yeah, <laughs> class. Um, yeah, like you say, the life skills that you you spoke about—that's something you know. The skills that you can learn from football are transferable into other areas of life. So that's something again that we bang the drum about, and some key ones that I picked up on sort of the growth mindset. You know, like embracing the challenge, embracing the risk. Um, and taking it on, taking it head on and, 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 you know, embracing it. Adaptability, you know, having to adapt to the environment, adapt to the playing style, adapt to your, your full life, basically. Um, and obviously resilience as well, because you're having to, you're dealing with these so many different challenges and you're, you seem to be overcoming them successfully. And then you can come back a year, like at the end of that year, and now you have like an arsenal of like skills that have been developed so much, and I suppose that gives you the the confidence and you know reassurance to go and finish off your degree, right? Because you you went you went back to uni when you came back, is that right? Yeah, to be fair, I probably went through and experienced a lot of the guys that may have ever dropped out of a football team went through because I almost like set back that yeah. dropout a year because I had such a great time in Australia. And then it kind of all came crashing down when I came home. If I'm being honest, I didn't okay. really know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what level of football I was going to play at. I didn't know if I was even going to finish my degree. I didn't know if I was going to get a job. And there was a lot of uncertainty there. And I was really, I was clueless at that time. I just, and it probably was the, it was probably the, I'm not going to call it the worst, but it was probably the most difficult time of my life at that point because okay. I just didn't know what to do. And there was no guidance. So I kind of just decided by default I was going to finish my degree because I had nothing else to do. I had very little drive to actually do it. Um, and if I'm being honest, I, to be fair, I did okay with my degree, but I dragged myself through it. Yeah. Um, so it was difficult. However, like all those skills that I'd learned in Australia and I'd learned from kind of the adversity of the whole situation um, definitely pulled me through that time. 
Um, and like there's a quote that kept ringing in my head as, as we were speaking there. It was one of my uh, old football coaches that he was speaking to me and he basically just said, he was like, I was like giving him this kind of spiel about what if this doesn't work? What if it doesn't work in Australia? What if I can't get my degree? And he was like, hey, but what if it does work though? He's like, just flip it around. What if it actually does work? Then where will you be? You'll have a degree, you'll have this. And I've kind of used that for the rest of my life. It just, it is just something that rings in my head. And it's actually like um, something that I kind of quote on all of my, my coaching programs. When I send them out at the start, I was like, what if it does work? Um, because negativity bias is, is strong. Yeah. Love it, man. Yeah, it was a great. I was going to actually bump that for the title of, the, of this episode for the podcast, but if you yeah. use that, you've obviously trademarked it. Tony, what I'm thinking about when he, when Ryan's talking there, is your favourite thing, mate. Yeah. Do you uh, know are we on the same page? If we're talking about sort of reframing, then. Ah, yes. Definitely. Ding, ding, ding. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Like you said there, um, you sort of straight away um you know some of the stuff that we try and speak about with with athletes is that idea of you know switching the way you view a situation and putting it in a positive light so you know rather than the classic what's the worst that can happen it's like well what's the best that can happen um and it's doing like that because you know we are we are as a species we are designed to think negatively because it's a survival mechanism um, but then what that does is sort of it drags you down and you only think about the worst so sometimes you've got to challenge that inner belief and you've got to reframe it or restructure it and make it more positive, which is exactly um, what your coach sort of said to you there. So, yeah, fantastic words of wisdom from him and, and definitely, definitely um, something that we can, yeah, use as a highlight perhaps for uh, for this podcast. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely, man. Um, so, so you, Matt, you, of course, managed to, as you said, drag yourself through your final year of strength and condition. And it probably should be mentioned, actually, that me and Ryan were both at the same uni at one point. I don't know if we ever played in the, like in the same team. I'm not sure. Maybe there is a sort of day in there where sure you know, I maybe got promoted and got five minutes at the end of the, the game or something <laughs> like that. But um, yeah, yeah. So you managed you managed to get through trim conditioning at Aberté. Boom, you've got a degree. You've got the sort of experience in Australia. You've got your sort of experience coaching for your college degree, which we probably didn't even mention totally. Now, what happens after that? Um, well, to be fair, there's a, there's a good couple of years of self-discovery, you can call it that. Um, I wasn't, still really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Like, there was the strength and conditioning route that I could have went down, and I was very close to doing a master's at St Mary's. I was almost <laughs> way to do it. Um, if I'm being honest, I'm glad that didn't happen because I've went the other way and it's it's worked out for me. Um, but I went in, I did quite a bit of like in-person PT. I was always going down the direction of football. Like that was the thing I wanted to do. It was coaching footballers. And because I had such a passion for like the like the actual strength and conditioning side, um, I wanted to support footballers or support athletes with strength and conditioning. Um, so I kind of started my PT business. It was all in person to start off with, and I probably did maybe about a year of that. And then for a lot of people, I kind of had to I had to rotate when COVID came along um, and started my online coaching program. Um, started off very small in COVID. It was kind of just like filming Zooms, like literally in my garage with like car tires behind me and stuff like that. Um, 
and people were just kind of jumping along with that i was charging what like 10 or a week or something like that i was um it was all pretty small fry at that point but it, it was a starting point um and from there what we're talking about like two and a half years almost three years later um i'm running the nine to five athlete online coaching program which has kind of been refined over time to to be a program which works with mostly semi-professional athletes that they have they've got kids they've got families they've got hobbies they're studying they've got their own jobs and finding that balance between really upping your game physically and mentally is hard when you've got all these other things on your plate so that's kind of that's the thing I've always struggled with from the days that like when I was younger at four four even in Australia up till now those are the biggest challenges that I find like it's it's having the time it's having the energy so that's why we'll kind of work with these guys and girls to to focus on different aspects of the game it's kind of like a lifestyle thing because i can go and give you the best training plan in the world i can give you the best nutritional advice in the world but if all the other aspects of your life are broken and you're struggling then it doesn't really fix it like mm. a training plan on someone that sleeps shit and they're stressed out their mind is like sticking a plaster on a bullet wound in my okay. opinion, anyway. Okay, that's interesting. So, I suppose is the training program the the spine of it, and then you work off of that. Like, so for example, do you give tips around like if if someone is sleeping poorly, for example, is there advice around that type of thing as well? Yeah, the program kind of it runs in like four different sections as such so you've got the the training and nutrition and i call that part like basically like the athlete's performance so that's like that's kind of the the meat and potatoes as such like it's the training plan and the nutrition and that's the thing most people think that's what i need that's what i want and then there's the section of kind of like mental performance so it's mental performance and high performance habits is the kind of thing that i call it so it's like your like your general routines on a day-to-day -day basis it's your stress management it's your sleep it's all these kind of different lifestyle factors that we may not think are the problem or are the issue, but they could most definitely be the issue. Um, and then there's the kind of community aspect of it. Like the way that I run the program now is like there's in-person events, I run classes on a monthly basis. Not everyone comes because geographically it doesn't work, but we have meetups and there is, there's a community like forming, for example, we're away to Walker Monroe this weekend. There's 20 people coming. So it's kind of like, you know there's people in the same kind of scenario as you um yeah. and generally just yeah it's kind of like i like to call it a full package i think it's a little bit more than just a pt training program with a meal plan and like there's your there's your exercises for the week it's it's yeah. a lot more well-rounded than that now it wasn't at the start but now it very much is yeah no nah, that sounds brilliant man it sounds like a really kind of successful business as well and i like that idea of like making it a community because then you have other people that are in similar scenarios to you or have dealt with similar experiences as you, which then helps you to make sense of everything like more. And it also helps you to feel more probably comfortable in yourself and more kind of, I suppose, down to earth and, you know, like you're not alienated, I suppose. Yeah. I think uh, one point that I had was I, I'm always interested in, I feel like, there are people in the sort of PT uh, space that take up sort of similar areas to us. Um, and I feel like it's a, it's a bit grey, but it was really like from, from what I've seen, 
But I feel like there's, like you say, that the mental side of it is based on rituals and routines, basically, right? So that's interesting to give to hear about insight into that because sometimes I feel frustrated often when I see some PTs out there claiming that they can like I don't know just transform your mindset which of course you can through exercise and through routines but I feel like it almost takes up a bit of the psychology element away from us and the the amount of of training that we've had to go through. Tony I don't know if you've had similar frustrations to that yeah definitely i think it's well it's that is a trouble um is that it's a bit of like a gray area almost um and there's there is obviously overlap um but then there's areas where we'd probably specialize in um that, yeah. that are different to just this, the simple yeah like you say just setting a routine and and, and other stuff um yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's an interesting one for sure but i think what i was picking up on that was you know and again it's something that we get across in the program was the idea that you know your life outside of the sport that you focus on you know, dramatically or can dramatically impact your ability to perform and your ability to train. You know, if you're tired, you're going to go to the gym, you're going to have a rubbish training session. I've, I have that all the time because, you know, that's an area of my life that I need to start capitalising on. I have been recently. Uh, but, you know, if you don't eat good again, then you're not going to be able to train good because you're going to get tired quickly. Um and that's also why, you know, we want to get guests on the podcast that specialise more in, you know, this, the strength and conditioning training or, you know, yeah, the performance lifestyle side um, or more physical side of it that we perhaps don't specialise in as much. So we can only give on the surface knowledge. We can't give the in-depth stuff that you're able to provide. Um, so that was good to hear. And it's it's good to know that, you know, when you're working with your um, or, the you know, some of the semi-professional footballers that you work with, it's an area that you really focus on too um, because it does have a big impact. Um, so that was great to hear. Yeah, no, 100%. Yes. I always think that, like, if an athlete comes to me and I wouldn't understand how to deal with that situation myself, I will always pass that person on to someone with more expertise. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. And they yeah. try to go, um, I think the answer is this, maybe try that when it, in reality yeah. they've not tried and tested it themselves and they don't actually know the the rationale behind the actual thing that they're saying. Yeah, I suppose that's an amazing point, mate. And one that I've actually not considered from the sort of online coach perspective, we get taught a lot about referring on if the issue becomes, say, clinical. So if the anxiety isn't around my performance, it's around I'm anxious at work, I'm anxious in social situations, we would refer on um, to maybe a clinical psychologist. So that's actually such a great point um, that you mentioned. If you feel that you can help someone get through something through the use of exercise as a facilitator, then of course that you're going to do that, especially when you're building nutrition into it which is essentially physical well-being. And then you've got the routines and habits stuff. So, yeah, that's something I've never given much thought to. And and as dangerous when people just go, oh, money, 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 I'll, I'll do it, I'll fix you, here's a training plan, blah, 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 I'll never speak to you again or catch you on Monday for the check-in and then that's it. So that, that that's a great point uh, about referring on, uh, definitely, man. Yeah, I think the, the human mind and the way that people work, and especially when, like, for example, I'm working with 60 different people right now, I can't understand every single one of them. I can't understand the 40-year-old woman, the 18-year-old guy, and the 55-year-old man all the same. Like, they're going to have different problems, and they've been through different things. So I can't 
seriously say that I can understand what goes on in their mind completely. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's class to hear. And I actually feel more aware of that now. So it's good to sort of chat chat over that. Yeah. Um, I suppose just similar to what Tony was mentioning, and we're always trying to give our players tips, you know, they're like, oh, how can I make it to that next level? Of course, of course, they want to be the best version of themselves. So we give advice around injury from a mental side of things, as in when you're recovering from injury, you can set goals, you know, focus on the process of it. Um, we can, you know, probably give some advice on, you know, I suppose not injury prevention as such, but what appropriate things that you should be engaging in in terms of commitment, exercises, managing your workload to avoid injury. But we can't say, ah, oh, do this like front squat, like because this is going to like build the muscle in this area. Yeah. So I suppose um, our players would probably be really interested to hear, you know, what types of things should they be doing? What exercises maybe should they be performing in order to sort of, be more robust, I suppose the question is. Is that right, yeah. Tony? I know you're yeah. kind of... Yeah, I think, I think that's sort of along the same lines that I was just thinking there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, like, each person is very much individual to the injury and to the situation, but I think if it was to flip it on its head and say where most people then do go wrong, and I, I see it all the time because I, I'm still working in the gym every now and again, and I see a lot of youth footballers coming in the gym, um, and it's... Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with a few bicep curls, but like it's very much a, a bodybuilding style of training. It's it's heavy, it's slow, it's it's not to say it's not beneficial. However, there's you optimal is the word. Like it can be a lot more optimal. Um people completely forget the the landing, the jumping, the bounding, the lateral movements that football entails. Like it's not you don't run in a straight line in football, very rarely. Um and you don't run 5k pace very rarely. Like it's multi-directional um, and there's so many different demands on the body to to play a game of football. Um, I'm not saying you need to mirror every single movement in the gym to look like a game of football because that's actually kind of not actually beneficial either in a certain way. Um, but the main thing that I would say is, is if you're coming back from an injury, it's about, it's about actual, it's about strength. It's about building strength up again. And then it's about becoming comfortable with, the patterns of movement on a football pitch. It's about coming, becoming comfortable landing in left, right, forward, backwards, diagonal. Um, it's about then your body being able to cope with load. Um, like, I mean, for example, I'm taking one guy through a, a program just now. He's, he's out the back of an ACL injury. He's done quite a bit of rehab already with a physio. And just now we're kind of getting him used to like, just landing with, <laughs> like safely landing. And mm. as I said to you, multi-directional, um, as well as just building up some muscle tissue around around his quads and um, around yeah. his hamstrings. Um, but he said to me, like, should I be back squatting? Should I be bench pressing? I'm mm. like, Let, let's just step back a, a few. Um, and I think people get a little bit carried away with thinking that they need to be going in and just absolutely smashing themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. As I said, it's like it's it can be complicated. There's a lot of nuances to it, but um, I think the main thing is like stepping away from the bodybuilding style of training when you're coming yeah. back from injury and really just thinking about how can I train more like an athlete. Yeah, yeah. I suppose from what you know, conversations with like Murray and and others, it's a lot of explosive stuff seems to be be the, the, the sort of best. I know Tony, me and you 
certainly don't train. <laughs> I no, definitely I train like a bodybuilder. I, I, <laughs> I know I look like one, but I'm definitely train like one. Uh, yeah, I, I know I train like like a bodybuilder rather than doing the explosive moves, but it's okay because I'm not I'm not doing yeah. other sport at the moment, so that's my excuse. Um, so most yeah. of my stuff is more around like yeah, more like aesthetic rather than actually working towards a performance sport goal. Um, just interestingly as well, you sort of mentioned that you work with a player and getting them back to fitness and um, something that we bang on about constantly um, is the use of like goal setting in order to help help do that. Um, so I'm just in because obviously we just sort of say, oh, like make sure you've got the process goals or, you know, focusing on, on the journey rather than just looking at that midterm or long term goal. Um, but in, in relation to, say, someone that's coming back from injury prevention, how would that look? Um, as an athlete so they're coming back from an ACL what you know how would you use goal setting there to try and make sure that they're staying on track and they're perhaps keeping motivated as well yeah um, so there's a way that I kind of do it through the the programming app that I use um, and there's like like I use visual metrics like things that the the athlete can see on a on a daily weekly basis um, some of these guys I'm working with in person some of them I'm working with online um, so, for example, there's one guy just now, he'll plug in every every four weeks, he'll plug in his counter-movement jump um, height that he's getting. Um, he'll plug in his uh, three-rep max, um, and maybe a little bit contradictory with what I've said earlier, but his three-rep <laughs> max back squat, um, <laughs> certain situation. Um, and he'll be able to see that in like a, like a little kind of graph thing. Yeah. He'll be able to see the progress that he's making over time. Um, it's good as well because it's like an easily accessible thing that you can use on his phone um, and it's not just a case of like having this like okay I've got this goal for three weeks time and it's kind of just like it's maybe written down on a bit of paper it's maybe written down on his phone notes or something like that but this is a thing he needs to access on a, a weekly basis and mm. he can pretty much see how his strength's progressing on every single movement that he does um, and it, I think and personally it's always kept my athletes motivated it's always kept them kind of interested and we can then use those metrics as a, a guide to say, right, okay, he's he's almost ready to return to play or he's ready to step onto a, the next phase. Um, so yeah, and I'm I'm formed by all the kind of research when I'm when I'm doing this these things, yeah. and I'm in contact with like the the guy's physio or the football teams that he's playing with physio because although I kind of understand it very well, I'm maybe not as up to date with the physio with the return to play protocol. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for example, I suppose you're not going to take an ACL guy when he's like just got, he's just recut, he's like two weeks after surgery. You're probably months down the line where he's starting to get back into the gym, I suppose. Um, yeah. yeah, Tony, anything to pick up on that before I start chatting? Uh, you, you jump in this time, I sort of. Okay, yeah, so I like the idea of the visual metrics. Like, um, that's something that, you know, I think from a psychology perspective is better when you're working with athletes who are maybe a bit newer to things so that you know instead of the talk therapy it's okay I have this thing I am here at week one and now I'm here okay that's actually worked so that does help for motivation for for goal setting so I think that's why like goal setting sheets and stuff like that sometimes are, are quite useful and the other idea I like that you mentioned about your your app um I'm thinking about like wellness apps these days. I know that Barcelona, they have like a wellness app where the players check in like water intake, sleep, mood, 
like fatigue every single day and then that basically influences the way that they sort of train so i think it's just quite cool to see the way that apps have almost transformed performance essentially and it's really interesting to hear that you have your own uh, your own one as well uh, what's your app called mate uh, well it- it's, it's just a kind of visit an app that i use to utilize it's a true coach you've maybe heard of it before true coach cool yeah. i maybe have a really look at that this is cool um similar to what you were just talking about there not on a daily basis because it kind of it becomes a little bit overwhelming but yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on like a like well two times a week i'll basically have something like that midweek and then and then sunday i'll have something that kind of just like updates me on how the player is, is feeling um, but again you can't get a better feel for how a player's feeling than than speaking to the actual player themselves or the athlete yeah yeah, yeah. Def- definitely all sounds Brilliant. I mean, an, another amazing career that we've chatted through, Tony, I think, in terms of yeah, definitely. like one that our players could definitely look to to work towards. And um, I suppose next question for you starts before we maybe start to, to wrap up is what sort of what sort of next for you then? Um well, yeah, mate, to be fair, like um this online coaching programme is is like just everything just now. Like it's everything that I'm doing. Um yeah. it's pretty much 100% of my working life. So it's a case of just making this bigger and better. And I, I have a pretty like grand idea for the whole thing. And some people, okay. I know you guys will understand it, but like I, I have quite a, like a big idea that I want to try and make, especially this area, like a little bit of a better place in terms of like the 95 athlete is, is not necessarily just like athletes as such. It's the problems that come along with, with being a young athlete. And it's like, it's the kind of I made a podcast about it just the other day, about like the kind of small town mentality. And it's, yeah, I've seen that. I find that really interesting as well. Yeah. It's similar around here as well. The, kind of the drinking, drugs and all that kind of idea. Like so many young guys are getting wrapped into that. And I think that, I mean, I've worked with probably 230 people in, in the last three years now. So I like to think that that's made a dent in the mindset of the area. And if I can continue to do that, I can continue to get in front of more people and speak in front of people and more people on my program and things like that, I believe that I can actually make a dent in the mindset of four for at least, but the surrounding areas as well, hopefully. So that's kind of the grand mission, I would say. Mate, 100%. That's, that's amazing. And you definitely will have. I listened to like one of your podcasts on the RLS podcast, and you mentioned... You know, I, I just like doing these podcasts. I don't get a lot of views, but even if one sentence that I say has an impact on one person, then that is a win. And that is a hundred percent our jobs are now. Sometimes yeah. it just feels that you're chucking all these things, you're trying different content, you're trying to reach people in different ways, you're trying different approaches, nothing sticks. And then one day you just get someone that says, listen, like, thanks very much for doing that. I have made this change because of this piece of advice that you gave. And, and then all of a sudden, you're re-motivated again, you're rejuvenated to, to go and it's it's such a, you know, a sort of nice feeling and I suppose it's the reason that we're doing doing this, right? Because we want to make an impact in sport, we want to make a, a difference in sport and from probably different but also similar angles as well. Uh, so it's great to hear that, again, Tony, we're reinforced that we are not talking nonsense or, yeah. or either yeah. that or everyone that comes on here is talking nonsense and we are but i don't think that's the case so i'm just buzzing to hear all that stuff 
Yeah, you know I mean, the snowball effect is huge. You're just yeah. like, you don't know how many people that you've like, the amount of people that maybe didn't like the thing that you put up or the amount of people that have talked to someone that you've worked with. It's like, you could have, I always think this to myself, like the amount of people I actually could have seen my content or could have listened to something I've said could be way into the hundreds of thousands and I don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah, well, we were going crazy a couple of weeks ago after the Murray podcast because uh, you would have had the same, I'd imagine, because we like touched down in like Kenya, uh, Japan, South Africa, Australia, um, like Belgium and all that, like seeing our listeners, it's just crazy, man. So someone in Belgium is like, you know, that Stutz guy, he's pretty interesting. I might go follow his Instagram. You might get a few Belgian followers, mate. It might be quite big over there. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Uh, Tony, any sort of um, closing thoughts or questions before we look to wrap up? No, I've literally I had something in my brain that has completely gone out of it. Um, so I've got no massive words of wisdom now. But no, just yeah, cheers for coming on. It's great. As Brad said, it's really nice because you know again, it's another guest, and we don't even mean to do it, but it's another guest that's come on and shared the same sort of values that we're trying to put out there, and you know, touch the same topics that we you know have put out as being important and things to work on and develop so yeah and obviously best of luck with with the um with the business and hope it keeps growing um and also you know if um visit australia's listening to our podcast and you know if they want to you know do a little link up just let us know because i think this you know, seems yeah. to be a really caring theme now uh, yeah, I mean, I love it. it's, it's good to speak to to people with the same kind of the same ideas as you say the same values um, yeah. and just trying to spread like a very very similar message yeah yeah, so I suppose I'll hit you with one more just to squeeze a bit out of you before you go. Any tips for sort of our young players at the moment who some of them have experienced maybe news that they're no longer at clubs. Some of them, you know, you're you're going to get given another chance in the summer. Some of them, you're going to be here next season. But, you know, no full-time professional contracts as of yet. So I suppose any advice for, for those guys that are experiencing these kind of things at the moment? Yeah, mate, I think you're you're a footballer and because you've attached yourself to being a footballer it's probably driven you quite far into your career so far and it's probably motivated you hard but you're not just a footballer like you're you're a lot more than just a footballer you're not a footballer first you're like a person first and you're you're a brother you're a son you're a whatever first and that's the thing that's most important so don't put your eggs all in that basket stay motivated as you can to be that footballer and to push yourself as hard as you can in your career but there is so much more to you. And I've only really kind of found that out the past three years that I'm like, right, okay, I actually am a bit more than just like a junior footballer. I can actually like, um, I'm a good coach. And that's another part of my identity now that I value so highly. And it's like, you can also be something else and you're not just one or two things, you're three or four things and you can, um, they all hold just as much value, I would say. Yeah, oh, yeah. amazing. You know, you can always get better at swimming, mate, so just stick at it. <laughs> to be fair, I actually went and did a triathlon, so I did get good at it. Oh, of course yeah. you did, mate, of course. I made, made sure. Very fair, very fair. Right, very well, uh, thanks very much, Stutz. Um, Tony, pleasure as always, mate. I yeah, think we exactly. got a good one, mate. We've got, a, we've got a banger, I'd say. For sure, yeah. Cheers, and thank, thank you very much for coming along Cheers. again to listen. So, yeah, thank you yeah. very much. Cheers for listening, guys. There'll be some information in our description around where you can contact Ryan um, and obviously get in touch with any of your wellbeing or your wellbeing coach if you want to know some more on the sort of topics that we've been discussing. 
feel free to leave us some feedback. I think we've got one five star so far, and that was me. So, you know, batter in, just ring the bell, get the notifications on, all that jazz, all that patter. But um, pleasure. Enjoyed chatting to, to both of you. It's been, been great. Yeah. Thank okay. you. So, cheers, cheers, guys.